Hi, I'm Rob, and this is Dad Sofa, a podcast about the things that connect us. Whether it is a rained-off attempt at a trip to the pub, or string theory, a cycle to Cornwall, or a chat in the sea, we talk about the stuff of life, what makes us curious, the stuff that connects everything, the spaghetti of life. Come and join us. Get comfy. This is Dad Sofa. The English language is thought of as one of the more complicated languages to learn. It seems to come from the fact that so many different cultures have influenced it. The last major change, apart from that guy Shakespeare, who made up a near dictionary full of new words, was nearly a thousand years ago, when William the Conqueror invaded England. It wasn't too long before French royalty influenced words that were spoken, and soon we had a mix of words with similar meaning in French and Anglo-Saxon. But of course, if you were anyone in those days, you would use the French version, with the old versions not sounding so good, when the French versions were being used. A good example of this is how a horrible smell was called a stench, until the invasion, and then the more polite word, odour, became a new way of expressing one's disgust. Although I do wonder if using the word stench allows one to let a little steam off. But take the word house. Maison was the French version, and so it was natural that post-invasion a French house would be posher, Hence, we now have the word mansion that comes from the word maison. So lovely became beautiful, swine became pork, need turned into require, and tumble gambled into somersault. But there are some old English words that I do prefer. Planet is a French term, but the Anglo-Saxon version is wanderstar, and tide was previously known as sea flood. When we look at old words used in English like ye, as in ye old curiosity shop, ye was never pronounced ye at all, the Y was a the sound, so eventually ye was spelled the rather than ye, just to avoid confusion, but then we forgot and have been confused again, thus causing us to bark at the wrong tree, which of course doesn't involve any trees, or trying to sound like a dog. Two of our oldest universities, where some of this stuff is studied, as colleges often mispronounced, Magdalen College, Oxford, is actually Magdalen College, and Gonville and Chaos, Cambridge, is Gonville and Keys. And of course things didn't settle down when you came down from these places, because our countryside is strewn with bizarrely pronounced places, such as Onwick, which is actually Annick, Wymondham, in Norfolk is pronounced Wyndham, Wolfardisworthy, pronounced Wolverie, Godmanchester, and God knows why, is pronounced Gumster. But if you struggle in these places, you might find it a challenge if you cross the border into Wales and find the place name but the strange rules that apply in English can confuse us even today. For example, a little interesting book doesn't sound quite right, but an interesting little book does. How do you learn that kind of thing? If you send something by ship, it's a cargo. Send it by car, and it's called a shipment. If you overlook something, you missed it. But if you oversee something, you try not to miss anything. Look and see are the same, though. Even rules like I before E, except after C, taught in English primary schools, are thrown out of the window if we select the words weird, seas or science, and of course, many others. Weird, huh? And that's before we get onto tense. Past tense varies so much. A simple example is fight, flight and light. One would hope a similar rule for each when thinking of the past tense for these words. But of course we would say he fought the battle after he had lit the torch and then flew away in great haste. And then we get onto pronunciation and spelling. Many words which are either spelled the same or not and pronounced differently such as, I decided to desert my dessert in the desert. And what about I see a film but watch television? 
But when I watched it, I was not called a watcher, I was called a viewer. When I went out for a quiet drink, I was with my friends. But when a fight broke out and I was interviewed as a witness by a journalist, they referred to me as a reveller, a term which seems to be totally reserved for the journalist describing anyone discovered in a town or city of an evening. So what about when we seek into a hyperbowl about the Super Bowl in America and learn that in the US, an old French term not used in England is used in the States, broil, but in France this means to burn rather than to cook with direct heat. I can hear you thinking, hang on, can we go back a little? When we step back to the word sieg, spelled the same as league or fugue, with a U-E at the end, actually of course, it's pronounced segue, and hyperbole is actually hyperbole. At least I pronounced Super Bowl correctly, I think. One of the things that I love about language, though, is idiomatic phrases. The term kicking the bucket doesn't involve either kicking or buckets. Unless, of course, that was what caused someone to kick the bucket, in which case we're left wondering which one was the death bit. Let us examine the sentence. That was what caused her to kick the bucket. She could have kicked a real-life bucket, tripped over and died as a result of succumbing to an injury, or she could have collapsed and, in dying to the floor, kicked a bucket, which seems a little bit random. Or the most common assumption, with no buckets or kicking, just passed away quietly, and the term used just seems in this case the most odd. The grim reality is that it relates to hangings and buckets being used for the doomed to stand on. I hope that when I die, I can just pop my clogs, not so sure about biting the dust, or even going to the farm upstate. But my firm favourite about considering my own death takes me back over the border into Wales again. It's Dylan Thomas's wonderful phrase, go gently into that good night. Words can be so powerful. Thank you.